You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. In this episode, join me on the road as I drive around the highways and byways of southern Queensland, taking images for upcoming projects with the Pentax 645, a blackbird fly exposing those beautiful 35mm sprockets two Polaroids and two compact point and shoots. But why did I hire a tennis court one morning on a solo road trip? Keep listening and find out. I'm Matt Murray and this is Matt Loves Cameras. Film cameras. Instant cameras. And everything analogue photography related. my friends how are you i hope you are well wherever you are all around the world welcome to another episode of matt loves cameras bit of a different change of pace this time we're doing a road trip across country queensland it's only a very short road trip only lasted for about 30 32 hours but i hope you do enjoy the the upcoming slice of country queensland today now i have called this 36th episode of matt loves cameras polaroid road trip because the polaroids of course are the only images i have so far you can see them at mattlovescameras.com and you can see a select few on my instagram as well i've also turned a few of the polaroid images into cool little instagram reels so check out my instagram matt loves cameras. I'm hoping that the other images I took on the Pentax 645 and the Fujifilm Class S and on the Mu2, I hope they all turn out. I'm really looking forward to getting some of the scans back from the lab, but that won't be for another week or so. So earlier this week, I set off on a little road trip. It was a 32-hour road trip to southern Queensland. And my destination, my principal destination, was around the town of Warwick in southern Queensland. But I also visited other little towns like Allara, Maryvale, and uh, Stanthorpe. So it was a really nice little trip. Uh, Although it wasn't that long, I did spend the night down there, and and, uh, I really enjoyed uh, the whole experience. It's an area that I've been to many times over the last five years. It's an area that has a lot of farmland, and when there's a lot of rain, there's uh, really good sunflower crops down there. So going back, you know, three, four, five years, you know, every year we'd go down there and photograph the sunflowers. And uh, certainly for a lot of people here in Brisbane or even even further afield, they really want to get down there to the Warwick Allara region to photograph the sunflowers for their Instagram. And that's exactly what I was doing a few years ago. Uh, but I also got some images, uh, really nice images of galahs. So the galah is a pink and grey cockatoo. Beautiful, beautiful bird. Probably my favourite bird here in Australia. And the, the galahs and other sort of cockatoos. But uh, the galahs love to eat the sunflowers. So I got some really lovely photos very early in the morning. Uh, the sun rises here in summer around 4.15 or 4.30am. Something ridiculous like that. So one year I was down there and I caught this cheeky galah eating some sunflower seeds and uh, I actually sent that into a rough guides travel photography competition and I didn't win but I got published in their rough guide travel book so I was I was pretty chuffed about that and I really need to get that image um, printed out and put on my wall I've just realized I've been saying that for years I need to get that image printed out and I've never done it so that's another reminder uh, for me to do that so this region is is a region I've got a, a bit of history with in terms of photography 
in recent years, though, probably the last two years, there haven't been any sunflowers because the region has been in drought. But I still love going down there. It's just a completely different area to experience for us city slickers. Uh, we live in the suburbs here of, of Greater Brisbane. Going down there to the countryside and, and seeing all the landscapes and seeing how different people live in different areas of Australia, I, I love it. I, I just think it's it's so wonderful to to get out of, of where you live and and um, and even very briefly looking at different parts of Australia. It's just fantastic. So even though this was a very quick trip, I still really couldn't decide for a long time which cameras, cameras I was going to take with me. But in the end, I settled on this lineup. The main camera I took was my Pentax 645N2. Now that's a kind of a heavy camera to take for a, for a road trip, I guess you could say. But I kind of have this idea for a zine kind of formulating in my mind of 645 images of this area. Uh, so I took that with me and I took quite a few rolls of Ektar with me. And then I decided on some secondary cameras as well. So I took one digital camera, my Fujifilm X100F. I didn't actually shoot that many frames with it, only a few. And I also took my Blackbird Fly, which of course exposes the sprockets of the 35mm film. That's for the upcoming sprockets competition. What else did I take? I took my Fujifilm Class S, which had some Superior 1600 in. And that was just the last few frames. So I really wanted to use that up and then get cracking with a different film emulsion in that camera. I had a Mewtwo with me and I had some Cinestill 800 on there. I think I've had that in that film and that camera for like a year because I remember going to the U2 concert in Brisbane last year and putting that film in and that was in November last year. So I just really want to finish that film off as well. And my final two cameras were my Polaroid SX70 and my Polaroid SLR 680. So I really wanted to take a lot of Polaroids on this trip alongside the 645 images and the, the 35mm images as well. So that's the lineup. Today I'll sort of be talking about the whole trip, but I'll be speaking, I'll be describing uh, the Polaroid images in particular because they're the only images I've actually seen so far. I did send my films off to the lab on Thursday. I don't think they've actually arrived yet. Today's Saturday, and usually they would have arrived express post on Friday, uh, but I think there's a bit of a backlog with Australia Post at the moment. So, so many people are ordering things by the post because Melbourne is in lockdown. So hopefully, maybe by this time next week, I'll have my images in my Dropbox and I can, uh, yeah, have a look at them. And hopefully I got a lot of cool images. So I'll be telling you about the whole trip, but I'll be describing the Polaroids, which of course you'll be able to see at mattlovescameras.com. And also I'll put a few up. Actually, I've already put a few up on my Instagram, Matt Loves Cameras, and I'll put a few more up to coincide with the launch of this podcast episode. So setting off from Brisbane around 10 a.m., I headed west along the uh, the Logan Ipswich motorway and um, I got out to the Cunningham Highway, which is the way that you get out to the Southern Downs region. And the first stop, I had to stop at the Arachula Bakery. Uh, now, I usually we stop here with the kids. They have some really good chips at the Arachula Bakery. They're kind of really crunchy, double fried kind of chips. don't know how to explain them, but they are really, really good chips. Uh, but today I was, or oh, this particular day I'm talking about, I was a very good boy. I did not 
not have any chips. I had to stop for the bathroom because I'd had about three coffees before I left home and I was really in need of a number one. Uh, I had to go for a wee. So uh, I stopped at the Arachula Bakery, used their facilities. I, I admired their beautiful baked goods, but I, I kept going. And the first photo stop was actually about half an hour after that. So after Arachula, you keep going for a little bit further on the highway and then you start the ascent up the mountain range. So there's a, there's a sort of line of mountains in Australia. They're not particularly big mountains by European or North American standards or Asian standards, uh, but there's a line of sort of a mountain chain down the east coast of Australia called the Great Dividing Range. And so what you do from Ar- just past Arachula, you start going up uh, through ascending the mountain range kind of thing. And it's a bit of a dangerous road. The, the speeds for the road go right down to 50 kilometers an hour, which is, I don't know, maybe 30 miles an hour. And you have to go really slowly up this mountain range and there's a lot of trucks. So you've got to be very careful um, not to go too fast. Uh, But when you get to the top, there's a beautiful, beautiful national park called Main Range National Park. And from the road, you can see these beautiful rainforest kind of trees and it just looks beautiful and lush and it's amazing. And I haven't actually been for a walk there for many years, but I, I should get out of the car next time and, and go for a nice little hike there to have a look around because it's certainly a beautiful looking area. Now about 15 minutes after going through the sort of Cunningham's Gap at Main Range National Park is the first photo stop of the road trip. So it's a, it's an old place called the Maryvale Roadhouse and it's a deserted petrol station, gas station, restaurant at the side of the road and I actually recorded some audio there so here you go. We're going to pick, pick this up at the Maryvale Roadhouse. Now, just a word of warning, uh, some of these clips that I'm inserting into this podcast, the audio quality isn't great, uh, but they don't go for very long, so hopefully they'll be okay for you to listen to. Hey, it's Matt here. I'm at one of my first stops for the road trip. This is the old Maryvale Roadhouse. It's an old sort of petrol station, uh, restaurant sort of place uh, by the side of the road. Uh, I just got out of the car. It was all nice and warm in the car and I got out of the car and it's actually pretty chilly uh, here. So I had to put my jumper on. Um, But um, it's a beautiful, beautiful day. Uh, The skies are beautiful and blue, lovely and sunny. I've got a little bit of uh, zinc cream on my face so I don't get burnt. Uh, But it's absolutely beautiful here and I'm going to take some uh, photos. So it is getting towards the end of winter here. In fact, I think the the last day of winter is in a couple of days' time, and then we head into spring. It's kind of been getting a little bit warmer here and there, but certainly when you get to the top of that mountain range uh, to sort of get into the southern downs, you get out of the car, and the air temperature is distinctly cooler. Uh, so I sort of got out of the car and went, whoa, get where's that jumper of mine? So it was a little bit windy and a little bit chilly. Now, the stop at the roadhouse wasn't entirely successful and uh, we'll pick up some more audio here and I'll, it'll tell you why. So it hasn't been much of a success, this stop so far. I, I love stopping here and taking photos, uh, but the problem was I brought my Pentax 645 because I want to take some more 645 photos in this region for a zine. The problem was I thought, oh, I don't need any spare batteries. Bought spare batteries last time, didn't need them. I rocked up here, took the first photo, and of course, guess what happened? The battery sign showed, and I need more batteries. It's okay though, it takes double batteries. Uh, it just means I've got to go into Warwick. It's, it's about 25 kilometers from here, or you know, 15 miles more batteries. Yes, yeah, so on my previous trip I had a little Ziploc bag with six fresh 
fully charged AA batteries in and I put them somewhere in my home, somewhere in my home office probably, and I have no idea where they were. And before I went on the trip the other morning, I searched and searched, couldn't find them and said to myself, don't worry, you won't need them. Well, that was a mistake, my friends. I think I got two... Uh, images out on the 645 at the Maryvale Roadhouse before <laughs> I didn't dare take any more because the battery sign was blinking. Uh, so there you go. What an idiot I am for not taking spare batteries. All was not lost, however. I did manage to take some images on my Blackbird Fly. I took a couple on the Mewtwo with the Cinesteel 800. Uh, luckily, the 800 ISO speed film, it was still able to take some images with that camera, even though it was very bright. I did pull out the Fujifilm Class S with the Natura 1600 in, but uh, that was just too bright. It didn't want to take any photos. Well, actually, it would have taken a photo, but it was blinking. Uh, The shutter speed indicator was blinking to say it was going to be a bit overexposed, and I thought, I'm just going to leave the Class S for another time. I didn't want to waste those last few frames of uh, Natura 1600. I did get out my Polaroids, of course, and I took one image with my 600 camera and two with my SX70 camera. So if you're playing along at home, go along to mattlovescameras.com and you can see the Polaroid images I'm talking about right now. The first one is taken with the Polaroid SX70 camera with Polaroid Originals SX70 film production date April 2019. And it's an image of a gas pump or petrol pump and the top half of it has sort of come away so you can sort of see the the inner workings of the of the gas pump there and you've got these beautiful blue skies in the background you've got a bit of flaring towards the bottom a few sort of flares of light there and also you've got a few of those blue streaks at the top of the polaroid but i really like i really do like that image uh it's really cool and the next one below it is also sx70 image same film production date april 2019 and you can see there again beautiful blue sky a few more of those blue sort of streaks and a few more sort of uh, flares of light in the image but i really love that image as well it's a really really cool image and you know these could be straight out of the the 70s or 80s you know what i mean They, they look fantastic these images i love them So I left the Maryvale Roadhouse and I put on some CDs that I bought last time that I was in Warwick. So that was about a month ago. I was down in Warwick for the day and I rocked up to the local charity shop Vinnie's, which is short for St. Vincent de Paul, which is uh, an organization here in Australia that run a lot of charity shops or op shops. And I was on the hunt for cameras and I didn't find any cameras, but I did find some CDs. So here's a description of my finds. So there's the Vinnie's I went into in Warwick and alas, no cameras, but I did find a cracking sale on CDs. So I got these three CDs. So the first one is Tchaikovsky and I was reading it, the German, I only saw the German there and the Nussnacker is kind of easy um, to <laughs> translate, the Nutcracker. And the second one I was thinking, the Schwanensee, what, what is the Schwanensee? And then I worked out, well, Schwan sounds like Swan, Swan, the Swansea. Oh, no the Swan Lake Um, and then later on I noticed the French versions were underneath there which is probably a lot easier for me to understand than the German but there you go so I've got the Nutcracker and Swan Lake on the first CD on the second CD I've got The Lady Loves Soul so volume three The Lady Loves Soul volume three it must be a very popular compilation there and so it's got all cool sort of soul music on there only for ladies apparently but um, I bought that one and the last one. Now, I'm a bit worried about this. It's the Reader's Digest Burt Bacharach collection, The Look of Love. I'm just hoping that these Burt Bacharach songs are actually Burt or the original artists. They're not some Reader's Digest 
rip-offs? I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll soon find out. Okay, here's the moment of truth. I'm about to put the burnt Bacharach CD in. Let's see what happens. Is it the original or not? This should be the original look of love. Here we go. Yeah, I reckon that sounds like... Who is Look of Love? Dion Warwick? I probably should know that. But yeah, this sounds like the original. This is great. Wow, that was great. Great use of $2. Yeah. So there you go. Um, of course, the look of love is not Dionne Warwick at all. It is, of course, Dusty Springfield. Shame on me for not knowing that. Of of course, Dionne Warwick did sing quite a few uh, very famous Burt Bacharach songs, uh, but not that one. Or maybe she did a version of that one. I'm not sure. Uh, but certainly Dusty Springfield was the uh, probably the most famous version of that song, I think. Now, not having those batteries on board was a real pain in the bum because I'd actually planned out my whole entire day. I had a little itinerary, places I wanted to go. But the problem was that the camera, the, my main camera I took, the Pentax 645N2, I didn't have any batteries, so I had to completely rearrange my day. So to try and make myself feel better, I cranked up a pack rack on my stereo in my car, and I set off on the highway to try and get those batteries. You're listening to Matt Lowe's Cameras. So about half an hour later, I arrived in Warwick and I parked up near the biggest supermarket and I got a, I think it was a 20 or a 30 pack of batteries to make sure I didn't run out. And so that kind of threw my whole day into disarray because I thought, well, I'm not sure I want to do that little itinerary I'd planned. I might do that tomorrow on the way back to Brisbane. So I thought, well, what can I do? So I had a, I got a coffee, had a little walk around town. And then I decided to head down to Stanthorpe. Stanthorpe is 45 minutes away. It's on the, the border of Queensland and New South Wales. At the moment, because of the COVID situation, the border is closed. But I headed down there to have a good look around. And I thought there might be some interesting countryside on the way from Warwick to Stanthorpe. Quite honestly, though, the uh, the countryside wasn't that interesting. It was just like sort of bush scrub. And uh, it wasn't any different to any other countryside I've seen around that area. Uh, there was no sort of interesting things really at the side of the road. It was kind of just going on that main highway it wasn't that really interesting i did find as we got closer to stanthorpe there were a few interesting kind of things so for example there is a big apple uh we love big things here in australia the big banana the big the big cow we used to have a big pineapple i think there's a big prawn and big avocado we also have a big apple uh just outside stanthorpe just north of stanthorpe so there's a big apple didn't take any photos of it i uh, thought i'll get one on the way back but i never did but then there was also this old fruit shop so i got an image a photo of this old fruit shop i had this like 1960s 70s sign painted on the side of the shop uh, and i think the front banner of the fruit shop says capelli's uh, fruit shop at the summit. I think the little town's called the summit. And again, you've got some really nice sort of colors to it. A little bit washed out. These colors are sort of shooting at right angle to the sun. So it was quite bright, but the image turned out quite well, I think. And again, down towards the bottom, you've got these sort of flares. Maybe I should have brought along my SX70 um, hood, lens hood. Uh, in fact, I did actually mean to bring the whole of the SX70 accessory kit with me on the trip, and I forgot. Uh, but still, all was not lost. I, I still managed to get some good images. So, yeah, that was okay. Now, one thing I noticed after this stop at the fruit stand was my eye cup for my 645 had gone missing. 
Uh, so the iCup, of course, is a little bit of, you know, rubbery plastic stuff that you, you screws on the end of the viewfinder of the 645. Because um, I'd sort of noticed when I was putting my eye up towards the, the viewfinder, it felt a bit like, oh, man, like, felt a bit rough on the old eye. That's why the iCup was missing. And I was looking around my camera bag, looking around the car. I have no idea where it went. And so I just found that really, really annoying because I'd actually purposefully bought a 645 with an iCup because many of them, many of the ones being sold in Japan didn't have the iCups. And now I know why they were being sold without iCups because the bloody things fall off. So I, I don't know how, but it fell off somewhere and I was really, really cranky by this stage, feeling really crappy about the whole trip. I felt like I was driving everywhere. The, it had no batteries for the camera. Then the iCup fell off. Uh, gosh, I was I was not in a, a particularly good mood at this stage. When I got to Stanthorpe, I parked up, had a look around, and one of the first shops I actually came to, would you believe, was like a, a camera shop or a photo shop. And it was really cool. I had a look around inside there, chatting to the lady uh, inside. There wasn't a lot of camera gear inside there. A lot of these country towns have big shops and there's not actually much in there. I think the rents must be very cheap compared to the city because you, you wonder how some of these people make a living. I don't know. Uh, there's just not much to buy in there. Uh, there was no film to buy in there, sadly. But however, there were quite a few cameras in a cabinet. I did ask her which ones were for sale and she said any in the lower half of the cabinet are for sale. But there were just things like, uh, it was a few, you know, 35 mil cameras and stuff like that. There was a couple of Polaroids, I think. Uh, but there was, most of the cameras there I either had or didn't really want. In the, the top half of the cabinet, there was a Hasselblad camera. And um, I did say to the lady, oh, how much is that? But I think she wanted um, some serious amount of money. I don't think it was hers, actually. I think it was the owners of the shop and he, he wanted some serious money for it. Uh, money which I don't have at the moment. So so uh, I said thank you very much and, and kept walking and had a look around town. I took quite a few photos with the 645 and also my uh, six my SLR 680. But then when I put a new pack of Polaroid film in the SLR 680, uh, the dark slide came out fine. I went to take a new photo and there was this kind of crunching sound. And basically what happened is the, the image, the Polaroid image, when it tried to eject, something happened with the frog tongue and it got all crunched. And I had to sort of very gently pull the, the, the image out of the Polaroid camera uh, because there was something going wrong with the frog tongue. So um, I thought the camera had broken for a sec, uh, but the next exposure it was fine. But I was just thinking, oh man, you know, what, what else is going to go wrong photographically today? I'm not having a, <laughs> not having a particularly good run here. So after about a, I don't know, 30 minute walk around town, it was just getting to the stage where the sun was starting to dip in the sky. And I thought, what am I going to do? Um, so I jumped in the car and I thought, right, let's see if there's some interesting place around here to take some sunset photos. So I jumped in the car. I ended up driving 15 minutes into the middle of nowhere where the countryside was not interesting at all. Started panicking a bit, thinking, what am I doing? I've, I've been out all day. I've come a long way from home. I've taken hardly any good photos. And I started to get a bit up, a bit annoyed at myself, a bit upset, thinking, what am I doing? You know, um, I'm, I'm driving around wasting fuel here. Um, what, you know, I'm just, I'm an idiot. I haven't taken any good photos. Um, and so I started to put a bit of pressure on myself. I headed back into Stanthorpe, made, made a decision just to go back to Stanthorpe. There's got to be something interesting to shoot here. 
So I had the GPS on my phone playing through the speakers of my car to get back into town because I was getting a little bit lost. I, I didn't want to uh, get lost again. So I had the GPS telling me which way to go. And just by chance, the GPS took me back into town a slightly different way than I'd gone out of town. And as I was coming back into town, I saw these tennis courts, these old tennis courts. Now, one project I have in my mind is tennis courts. I, I really want to do a zine or something about tennis courts. We, we have a lot of old tennis courts here in Australia. I've photographed them before um, for different sort of projects and different reasons. Not, not I haven't done a huge amount of tennis court photography, but I have done a, a bit here and there. And I've got this project idea in my mind. and uh, But I hadn't really done much more with it at this stage. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the GPS just sort of led me down this street where these tennis courts were. And I thought, oh, brilliant. This is amazing. So I jumped out of the car and I had a look around the tennis courts, but they were all locked up and there was no way to get in. And I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? I mean, you can sort of shoot through the, the net, the, the outer sort of, you know, wire fence of a tennis court. But, you know, I only had this 75 mil lens on my Pentax and I was feeling a bit, you know, despondent. You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't scale the wall of a tennis court. It was a little bit, um, well, scale the fence. It was a bit too high, you know. Um, but all of a sudden, I, I went for a walk and I realised that one of the gates to the tennis court was actually open. So all of a sudden, uh, from feeling a bit despondent. I was in the middle of this beautiful old tennis court. It was probably a little bit worse for wear. There was definitely some old sort of seating in there. Um, you know, the umpire's chair and, and the sort of spectator's chairs from the 70s. And uh, so all of a sudden, I was in the middle of this tennis court in Stanthorpe taking photos, taking, I took some Polaroids, I took some 645 images. And uh, all of a sudden, I just felt like things had turned around. Just by chance, I had come back into town a different way, found the tennis court. I'm actually thinking about doing a project about tennis courts and the GPS led me here. It was kind of fate, you know what I mean? Uh, so I started taking images of these beautiful tennis courts. And this is the next image here in the uh, on the show notes. So I've got an image of an old umpire's chair. I remember as a kid sitting up, you know, climbing up the chair and sitting in the umpire's seat was always a thing you wanted to do at a tennis court. And um, you can see there the, the chair and the tennis and the seating and the nets. You know, they've probably, probably seen better days. It's probably not the, uh, not probably not match ready for a, a Grand Slam tournament or anything like that. But it's a beautiful kind of, of relic of Australia's past almost. You know, I'm sure these, these tennis courts are still in use all the time, but they sort of hark back to a, a different era, many of these tennis courts, which is why I love them so much. If you would like to support this podcast, why not buy our dad a coffee? Visit coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Matt Loves Cameras. And buy him a coffee for just $3. As a special thank you, you'll get access to a digital version of my dad's first film photography zine every summer. There's even a few photos of me in the zine. And Rotor! That's ko-fi.com forward slash Matt Loves Cameras.
So after taking photos of the tennis courts, I had a little wander around Stanthorpe and took quite a few photos with various cameras, just of the dying light, the beautiful golden light, against some of the historic buildings of the town. And uh, yeah, I was starting to feel much better, feel like I had some good shots in the bag. And I then decided to head back to Warwick. Just before I started the engine, I actually had to go into my phone and book a little motel. So I booked pretty much the cheapest motel I could find. Uh, There was two options really for me. There was an old hotel, a really old historic hotel, uh, had a room for $62, but there was no bathroom. And I thought, eh, you know, if I want to go for a shower or go to the toilet, I got, I've got to leave all of my camera kit in my room. What if the room doesn't lock and I'm in the shower? And so I just sort of thinking about my gear and I thought, no, I'm just going to book the motel. That way I'm, I'm in one room. It's all it's all cool. So I booked the, the motel room and headed back 45 minutes into Warwick. Um, so it was you know, cheap and cheerful kind of motel room. It was pretty chilly. Uh, but then I headed into town, jumped back in the car, headed into town. And I went to a little Chinese restaurant that we've been to with the family before uh, called Chung Hing Chinese Restaurant. Now, I actually recorded quite a bit of audio at Chung Hing Chinese Restaurant. I was talking into my phone. I think the people who uh, who were eating there and who were working there thought I was completely crazy. Uh, I'll only play you a little snippet just to give you a little little slice of the atmosphere that night. Um, but the rest of the audio, it was kind of, it wasn't great audio quality. So uh, I'll just play a little snippet here for you to enjoy. Hello, listeners. I am recording this live from a Chinese restaurant in the Queensland town of Warwick. Uh, the, the restaurant's called Chung Hing Chinese Restaurant. It's a really nice little restaurant. Actually, it's quite a big restaurant. Probably seats well over 100 people. Um, today, there's only three parties in. There's a big sort of birthday party by the look of it. There's a couple of other people and there's me taking up a table. But it is a Tuesday night, so that's probably why there's not that many people here. So, oh, lovely. Thank you. Enjoy. I had uh, my entrees just arrived, sorry. So there you go. That was when my entree arrived. I think the the waitress there thought I was completely crackers, uh, but I did have a nice entree. I had a mixed had a mixed entree of uh, spring rolls and prawn toast or, or shrimp toast, uh, and uh, what else was there? I think there was a dim sim. Uh, it was very nice. And uh, then for the main course, I had a garlic sizzling beef. Uh, I asked them to tone the garlic down a little bit, you know, um, but uh, it was nice, but it's funny, like last time we had a meal there with my family, it was fantastic, we loved it, and this time I was by myself, I don't know, just, you know, sometimes when you're traveling by yourself, things just don't seem as fun by yourself, uh, even though the family, I did FaceTime the family from the restaurant as well, and they were very, very jealous of my of my meal, but yeah, I don't know, it just wasn't quite the same without them there. So to go along with my um, beef, I did actually have a, a shandy, a good old-fashioned shandy. I was driving, though, because the motel was quite away from the restaurant. So I had a, I had a nice Carlton mid-strength beer, and I had a can of lemonade as well, and I mixed them up, and it was very nice. And I, I actually went outside after my meal, and I thought, right, I'm going to take some photos uh, with this Natura 1600 on my Fujifilm Class S. So I wandered around the town for about, for about 30 seconds, uh, before thinking, oh my gosh, it is so cold. <laughs> I'm getting back in the car and going back to the motel. It was really cold. Admittedly, I was only wearing shorts. Yes, we live in Queensland, so most of the year uh, wear shorts because you don't really, you know, winter only comes for about three days a year. And this particular evening, it was very, very cold. And I was thinking what an idiot I was to wear shorts out at night. And um, so I jumped back in the car, went back to the motel and just sort of uh, got my stuff ready for for the next day. So I got to bed relatively early, probably about 10.30, 
and uh, I was looking forward to a good night's sleep, getting up early, had my alarm on for six o'clock because sunrise was at 6.12 a.m. At 3.30, I woke up freezing. It was so cold in the motel room. And uh, I, I woke up and I was like, oh man, I, I need to keep warmer here. I actually brought a little fleece blanket with me from home. But that was no good because um, I was still freezing. And then I sort of noticed there was this massive like um, quilt or duvet or doona on top of the, the cupboard. And I was like, oh man, it looks a bit dusty and a bit gross. But, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. So I put the, uh, the quilt on the bed and I, I tried to get back to sleep. And I sat there for the next hour. Well, I lay there, sorry, in bed, in the dark for the next hour. And I could not get back to sleep. Um, at one stage, there was a car door randomly closed. I mean, there was I couldn't hear no other noises at all except for the distant noises from the, the road. Uh, but all of a sudden, just this door closed and I looked out the pit at the windows in my motel room wondering if someone was trying to steal stuff from my car or something. All, all my valuables were actually in the motel room, but still. And uh, I think sometime around 4.45, I got back to sleep. So then the alarm woke me up at six o'clock and I was so tired. And I, I hate these kind of sleepless nights because, you know, at 3.30 a.m., I was kind of wide awake, ready to go, but there was nothing to do at 3.30 a.m. in a country town in Queensland. So I don't think there is anyway. Um, and But six o'clock when I woke up, having that extra hour of sleep, I felt dreadful. Uh, but I packed all my stuff, had a shower and jumped in the car. And just as I was jumping in the car, I sort of looked out uh, over the sort of the town because where I was staying, the motel was sort of staying on a hill. And there was a beautiful, beautiful scene there. Everything was bathed in this beautiful golden light. And um, I took my 645 down and took a photo of the uh, the washing line uh, of the hill's hoist uh, with the, the sun in the background. And uh, I'm not sure how that's turned out because I haven't got my scans back yet. But I'm hoping that the 645 images turn out really well. So from the motel, I started driving around Warwick and I drove round to a place where I've been several times. It's the old railway station precinct. So there's the old railway there. There's a beautiful old platform with this beautiful like tin shed roof. There's some silos there with, um, I'm guessing there's grain in the silos or there used to be grain in the silos. There's this beautiful old abandoned house uh, and there's a beautiful old hotel as well opposite the train station. So the next Polaroid in the show notes here is an image of that old hotel. And uh, it's a beautiful old sort of Queensland style hotel with beautiful iron iron lattice, I think it's called, the beautiful kind of um, iron uh, sort of flowery artwork that they used in, in buildings back then. And it's a beautiful architectural style that we have here in Queensland. And really, these days, you really only find these kind of buildings in the country. You don't find that many in the city anymore, sadly. And uh, this is one of the reasons I love coming out to the country, just all this beautiful architecture. Now, this particular hotel is called Omani's Hotel. It was built in 1907, which makes it pretty old for Australia. We don't have that many historic buildings here in Australia. So that, that's pretty old for us. Uh, and Omani's, obviously, is a bit of an Irish name by the sound of it. And when we went to the museum uh, a couple of trips ago to this region, I took my family to the museum there in Warwick. And uh, they were telling us that uh, there was a lot of Irish people in the Warwick region. A lot of Scottish as well, um, but there was a lot of Irish in particular, so much so that St. Patrick's Day used to be a public holiday in the town many years ago and they used to have like a parade down the, the, the main road, <laughs> the main street of the town, uh, which is pretty cool. 
So after I took a few photos of Omani's hotel, I sort of noticed there was quite a lot of uh, cars and utes down the street, probably about 100 metres or 110 yards away. And I thought, oh, what's going on here? So I walked down there and discovered that there was a little livestock market on the corner. I'd actually seen the livestock market before when there was no one there. Um, but this time there was loads of cars everywhere. So I actually went and had a look at what was going on. And there were loads of chickens in uh, cages uh, for sale and there was a whole load of people milling about and I was wondering if I should pull my camera out and start taking some photos when a little old lady approached me and said uh, uh, you need to sign in mate and I said oh I'm, I'm just looking I just wanted to have a look she goes yeah yeah you can have a look but um, you know you need to go sign in for COVID contact tracing and I said oh okay no worries so I said oh can I take some photos and she said yeah yeah just go sign in so I signed in, you have to give your name and address and all that kind of stuff and your phone number in case there is an outbreak of COVID so they can uh, trace everyone. And then I got uh, into the, the livestock market. It was kind of outdoor market, but there was some undercover sections of it. And uh, there was the chickens, of course, and roosters. And then around the side, all on the dirt, there was all these sort of auction lots on the ground. So there was one of children's DVDs, and there was another of farm tools, and there was another of furniture. So there was an auction taking place here today for, for livestock and for all these miscellaneous goods. So I had a good look around. I took some pictures. I uh, took some pictures pretty much on all my cameras, I think. Uh, but the next image here in the show notes is a Polaroid image of some roosters and some chickens in the background and uh, there's a bit of sun flare again with this image because it was very bright but I do really like this image you can see the two roosters there I uh, feel a bit sorry for them in the cages um, gosh I don't, I don't really know the psychology of chickens and if if they like being in cages or not I'm guessing they they wouldn't like being in cages but I'm a city boy you know what the hell do I know uh, these two roosters were were kind of adversaries they'd kind of start pecking at each other quite often in these cages I watched them for about 10 minutes uh, it was a beautiful uh, beautiful morning it was nice and crisp and cold and uh, it was lovely and sunny uh, my hands were freezing at this stage and my, my hands actually had started to to crack and bleed from the cold now I know people living in in Europe and North America must think this is ridiculous uh, it was probably only three or four degrees Celsius uh, which isn't that cold uh, but certainly for me here and my, my skin it was very very cold So after I finished at the livestock market, I went across the road and there was these tennis courts, the Warwick District Tennis Association tennis courts. And there was a couple of really nice brand new tennis courts, but there's also some old school tennis courts as well. And I really wanted to get in there and take some photos close up. I could kind of take a photo through the, the tennis court wire, you know, the wire sort of fence. But I was like, oh, I'm not sure that'll turn out too well. So I actually ventured into the, the grounds of a tennis club. There was no one there. Uh, I took a photo of this cute little old grandstand where people would have sat back in the day watching the tennis. And then I went down to this gate and there was like a, a pin code entry thing on the gate. I was like, oh, what's that? And there's a little sign saying, if you want to rent this tennis court, go to this website and you can, you can pay to rent a court and then you get a pin code to get in. And I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. And the prices were there. It was $8 for members and $12 for non-members. I'm kind of like, oh man, I want, I want to take a photo of this tennis court close up, but you know, I don't really want to spend 12 bucks, but I had a look at the website and all of a sudden on the website, um, when I went on, it was only $6 
it was $6 for half an hour. So I actually booked the tennis court at nine o'clock in the morning for half an hour, just so I could get on there and take photos. Uh, I have no idea what the good people of the Warwick District Tennis Association must have thought later in the day when they, they looked at their books and, and they saw, oh, we, we got $6 today because some guy rented a tennis court by himself. So I do wonder if they were confused by that. Now, it wasn't quite nine o'clock. So I thought, right, I've got time to go grab something to eat and get a coffee. I didn't have uh, much time. I think I had about 25 minutes. So I went to McDonald's. Yes, I went to McDonald's and I got a uh, bacon and egg muffin and a hash brown and an iced coffee. And I was just sitting in the car near the tennis courts eating it. And my wife rang to talk to me about something. And we were chatting for a while and I, I looked at my watch and it was two minutes to nine. And I said, oh, look, I'm sorry, honey, I've got to go. I've, my tennis court booking starts in two minutes. And she's like, what? Tennis court? I said, oh, I, I'll explain later. Anyway, I did record some audio when I was in the tennis courts. Uh, it's coming up right now. The audio quality isn't great because it was quite windy, but uh, I thought I'd insert it here to give you a bit of the tennis court ambiance. So I'm here at the beautiful Warwick District Tennis Association uh, tennis courts. There's probably, I don't know, there must be like yeah, there's eight tennis courts, maybe 10. Yeah, it was 10 tennis courts. There's two really beautiful ones. They're like blue and green. The main playing surface is blue and the, and the outer is green. And the older ones are kind of just the old green and white ones. So I hope you could understand all that in amongst all that wind. Uh, but I did sit on the old umpire's chair. So you sort of uh, climb up this old wooden umpire's chair and you're sitting about six feet above the ground, about two metres above the ground. And we used to do that when we were kids and on tennis courts and used to love it. And even now as an adult, sitting on top of that uh, umpire's chair, it really does give you a, a different view of things. And I actually just sat up there. The, the chair was pretty big, so I took my bag with me and I changed our roll of film when I was sitting on top of the umpire's chair. Chair. And uh, I did say in the audio there that, that any locals walking past must have seen me and, and wondered why the hell some idiot was sitting up there at nine o'clock in the morning on an empty tennis court by himself, uh, changing a roll of film. Um, but it was really lovely. I just sort of sat there in the sunshine and you could hear the the birds. You could hear the kids sort of walking into school, a few kids walking into school late. You could hear the noises from the auction and the train station. Uh, there's a few dogs barking, sitting on the back of the utes, waiting for their masters at the uh, at the auction. And this is one of the reasons why I really love photography, because sometimes when you're out taking photos, you know, you just sort of stop for a second to change film or or just have a sit down and have a think. And, and you sort of really become aware of your surroundings and everything going on. And it's easy to, in life to rush about from place to place and not notice anything. But, you know, sitting up there on that umpire's chair, I could hear and see a lot of what was going on in the town. And it was just really lovely just to become, you know, have a few moments of mindfulness and, and just sitting there and enjoying that beautiful morning. The next two images in the show notes are taken at those tennis courts. And the first one was taken with the SX-70. And it's a close-up of the umpire's chair that I sat in. And there's a tennis ball precariously sitting on, on top of that uh, umpire's chair. The image below that is another image taken with the same film and camera combination, the SX-70. And it's a wider view of the same scene. So you can see the old umpire's chair in the middle with some more seating and the, the tennis court net and the old tennis court there with all sort of sand everywhere around it. And uh, certainly you've seen a few games of tennis to those courts, I can tell you right now. Uh, now, both of these images have little you know issues with them, a few blue streaks and a few little light issues towards the top and bottom of the frame. But uh, I think it does really add to that kind of vintage feel of the images. Uh, I really like it. 
So after I was finished at the tennis courts, I actually went back over to the auctions. There seemed to be more and more activity and there was certainly more cars. And I actually went back over and took quite a few frames on all sorts of cameras, my 645, on the Fujifilm Class S, and of course the Polaroids. And here's a little bit of audio I recorded after I finished my second visit. So I've just been to the, the sort of market here, the, the livestock sort of auction market uh, for a second time and uh, the auction was actually on uh, so I made sure that I wasn't uh, raising my hand, I didn't want to purchase any poultry or, or livestock today and uh, it was really fascinating to watch everyone, um, there was a lot of cars, as I was in the tennis court I noticed a lot of cars everywhere, a lot of utes, um, a lot of people bringing in you know sheep and cattle and poultry, well, actually not cattle but sheep and poultry mainly, it was a couple of cattle there but not many and uh it was a couple of uh really cute looking dogs in the back of in the back of utes um waiting for their for their masters to come back um so it was, it was really interesting to watch everyone you know bidding on the auctions and then there was some sheep being unloaded and some pigs being unloaded into the pens and uh yeah it was a really interesting morning um i shot um in the livestock market for the second time i shot mostly my pentax 645 and my Fujifilm Class S and in the Class S now I've got some uh, Pro 400H in there so it's the first time I've shot this it's supposed to be a really good stock for portraits so uh, yeah shooting a livestock market not exactly in the same category as shooting um, portraits but we'll see how the shots come out I'm really interested to see now, it was also at this point, I sort of was reflecting <laughs> into my uh, voice recorder on my iPhone about how the trip seemed to turn around from being pretty disastrous at four o'clock the previous afternoon to being a success by 10 o'clock the next morning. And it is really interesting, you know, yesterday afternoon, about four o'clock, I was pretty despondent. I felt like I'd come all this way. Well, it's not that it's, it's that far away from home, but I felt like I'd come all this way. I hadn't done anything exciting, hadn't taken any good photos. I think I'd maybe taken four or five photos the whole day until four o'clock, and then, you know, this morning, I just by chance, I've, I've I found this livestock market. There's actually something going on today, and I got into the tennis courts, and all of a sudden, I think I've shot like three rolls of uh, Ektar on my 645, and um, quite a few other Polaroid and uh, 35 mil photos as well. So it's funny how sometimes, you know, things can just turn around, and uh, out of nowhere, you know, you, you have no photos in the bag, and then all of a sudden, you go to having three rolls, and, you, and you're wondering if you've got enough film left. So it is, it is funny how these things go. So after a really good morning of taking photos at a livestock market, the tennis courts and the railway precinct, I headed into town and I thought, right, I'm going to get a coffee here and then I'll head off and take some photos in some other little towns nearby. And I noticed there was a little cafe that I'd always wanted to go to, but it always seemed to be closed. So I went into the cafe. I had to open this little very narrow sort of French door to get into the cafe. I had to take my backpack off because my backpack wouldn't fit through the door. And uh, I got into the cafe and there was quite a few people in there. Again, you had to sign a COVID safe, you know, sheet of your name and phone number and all that. And there was some hand sanitizer there. So I put the hand sanitizer on and instantly regretted that because I had all these, you know, chap skin and cuts all over my hand. And um, it wasn't particularly fun when I put the alcohol <laughs> stuff on my bleeding hands. Um, but anyway, I, I sat down and the lady came over who ran the cafe and she said, hi, my name's Deanie. And, uh, you know, what would you like here today? And I said, I'll have a flat white with two shots in. And she brought it over and I was sort of sitting there just on Instagram, sort of admiring some photos and whatever. 
And I had noticed that when I went into the cafe, uh, Dini had been playing some Bacharach songs uh, on on the, uh, the the stereo in the the cafe. But then all of a sudden, she seemed to change the music, and there was an instrumental number came on, and Dini, the cafe owner, started singing and serenading people in the cafe uh, to that old song Mona Lisa, uh, and she started singing, and she was a pretty good singer as well. And so um, I think it's the first time ever that I've been in a cafe where the owner has started, you know, belting out an old tune. So here is a little excerpt of the cafe atmosphere with the, the lovely Dini singing. <laughs> Dini actually said uh, about halfway through the song she looked over at me and she said you know this song and I went yeah and she said you look too young to know this song and I said oh well I do have a pretty good knowledge of music you know how it is but it was all very entertaining and everyone in the cafe thoroughly enjoyed the performance there by the, the cafe owner. And so I went up to pay and uh, I said to Dini, I wasn't quite sure of her name because I didn't really hear her properly the first time she said it. So I said, oh, what's your name again? It says, Dee And she said, no, Dini. And I said, oh, Dee Dee. She goes, no, 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 Dini. So this went back and forth about five times. Um, my hearing wasn't very good. And um, so I paid up for the flat white and I then asked her if she had a tip jar. Um, tipping isn't that common in Australia. Um, we have pretty high wages. Um, so tipping generally isn't a big thing over here. But, you know, when you do have good service or a good experience like this, it's always good to, to give a tip. And so I said to Dini, I said, oh, do you have a tip jar? And she had this vase on the counter with flowers in and she lifted up the flowers and she said, there you go. So I put um, $2.50 into the tip jar and I said, oh, thanks so much. It's been really enjoyable here today. Then I told her that I'd been in Warwick many times and I hadn't seen the cafe open until today. And she told me that she pretty much just opens when she wants to, which is about three days a week. And I said, well, you know, that's fantastic. If that's your, you know, the cafe's fitting around your lifestyle, that's absolutely brilliant. And then I sort of said, thank you very much. Goodbye. And and just as I was leaving, another Burt Bacharach song came on the stereo. And I said, oh, is this a, uh, is this a Burt Bacharach compilation, Dini? And she went, yes, yes, it is. She said, actually, it's a, uh, it's a three CD Burt Bacharach collection um, I have. And I said, oh, it's not Reader's Digest Burt Bacharach, is it? And she said, wow, you really do have a good knowledge of music. So I left Warwick and, well, actually I didn't leave Warwick at all. I just headed out of the town centre and I headed out to a near another railway little depot on the, the northern side of the river. And there was a little beautiful tree that I actually found last time I was in Warwick with these beautiful pink flowers on. And I, well, a few weeks ago, there wasn't many flowers on there. And I thought, you know, when I come back here, I bet this tree is going to be blooming with loads of beautiful pink flowers. And I was correct. This tree was full of pink flowers and bees and it was really 
really, really lovely. And it was funny, earlier that same day, my mate Anthony, uh, my instant images on Instagram, he'd actually done a video on his Instagram with a very similar pink tree down in his neck of the woods in New South Wales. And he took an instant photo with um, different different types of instant cameras of this beautiful pink tree. And here I was in Warwick, uh, a few hours north, uh, taking uh, Polaroids of, of a similar pink tree of these beautiful pink flowers. And uh, so the next two images on the show notes are of the pink tree. And I took them on Polaroid SX, my Polaroid SX70 with SX70 film production date, March, 2020. And so, yeah, I really love both of these images. The first one I actually thought was a little bit dark when it came out of the, the camera. Well, you know, I had to wait 15 minutes or so to have a look and I thought it looked a little bit dark, but it actually came out really nice in the end. Beautiful, vivid colors. And that second one I really love as well is beautiful kind of, you know, bokeh, the, the pink flowers in sharp focus in the, in the foreground and then the sort of other ones in the out of focus areas in the background and the beautiful blue sky and puffy clouds really love those two images from there I headed north out of town and there was some fields being irrigated by those really long sprinkler things I don't know what they're called I'm not a country boy but these things are like I don't know 100 meters long and they're massive sprinkler systems for the farms and uh, I went down a side road a dusty road and the sprinkler was going sort of you know back and forth back and forth and occasionally it was wetting the road but I was sort of avoided a few times and thought oh I'm not going to get wet here so I got my 645 out and I looked at the viewfinder composed an image perfectly and just as I pressed the shutter guess what happened I got a very cold surprise. I got drenched with a huge amount of water from the sprinkler. Um, luckily, my 645 wasn't affected. It was mainly just my hair, but it was uh, kind of refreshing. It was getting warm at this stage, actually. The, it was, the weather was warming up, so it was kind of refreshing in a way. From there, I headed north towards Alara, but the conditions were getting brighter and brighter towards the middle of the day. Well, we're actually right in the middle of the day and uh, very sunny conditions, very bright, a lot of white fluffy clouds in the sky, which were kind of blowing out the scene. So uh, the conditions weren't exactly perfect anymore. And really, I thought, "Mm, it's two o'clock. It's probably not going to get to be good uh, photographic conditions again until about four o'clock, you know, 4.15 when the sun starts to go down and you get that golden light towards five o'clock and but um I actually spoke to my wife she wasn't feeling very well she'd been to the dentist and had a had a bit of a traumatic experience at the dentist so I decided to pack it in and I decided to head home I went down this country road uh, just for a, a bit of a change instead of going down the main highway and um, I did take uh, two last Polaroids uh, here in the show notes and so the first one is of an old sort of windmill sort of thing and uh, if you look closely there's actually a horse right next to the windmill a uh, beautiful grey horse he's almost kind of hiding there amongst the, the, the scrub and you can sort of see how dry it is uh, without irrigation it's, it's very very dry out there at the moment and you can also see how bright those clouds were but the Polaroid did a good job of, of that that's actually taken with the, the SLR 680 with 600 film and then just as I left the horse, I was heading back towards the, the motorway, the highway, and uh, my petrol light came on in my car, and I'd forgotten to get diesel when I was in Warwick. But the, the indicator on my car said, oh, you've got 50 kilometers until you run out of fuel. And I had a look at the map, 
and it was only 22 kilometers uh, to the nearest um, petrol station. So I was like, oh, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, so I headed along the highway for a little bit longer. And then all of a sudden, my four-wheel drive predicted that instead of having 50 kilometers left, I actually it actually come up with two blank lines, like two dashes, uh, which basically means you have no petrol left or no diesel left. And so I had 20 kilometers to go and the car was telling me I was out of, out of diesel. So then I had a very, uh, very nervous 20 minutes or so um, going along the, the, the highways and byways of southern Queensland, got back on the other highway, the Cunningham Highway, and was praying that I did not run out of fuel. On the main highway, it's only one lane each way usually. And if I did just run out randomly on the highway, there's, some places there's, there's actually nowhere to pull over. Uh, there's no sort of verge on the side of the road and there's a lot of trucks and at one stage there was a truck right behind my car and I'm thinking oh man if I run out of diesel right now this is going to be dangerous so I was kind of freaking out a bit uh, but luckily um, you know I was fine I actually got to the the, the next um, petrol station or gas station no problem at all and uh, I filled up with diesel and everything was fine again. The last image in the show notes is again at the Maryvale Roadhouse which was my first stop first photographic stop of the trip it was also my last photographic stop and I took an image there with the SLR 680 in just slightly different light uh, to the the first the stop the previous day and it's got some nice colors nice little bit of red there on, on the the building there and of course those puffy white clouds and, and blue in the sky beautiful now on the way back I actually did stop at the Aratula bakery again I was going to be a good boy and just get a coffee, uh, but I went in and I and I, uh, I said to the lady that they were still open, and um, I said, "Oh, are you still serving coffee?" Which is which I thought was a bit of a silly question because the bakery was open, there was people in there, and she said, "I oh, know we close at four o'clock," and I said, "Oh right, okay," and I walked out and I looked at my my phone and it was three forty nine. And I had one of those those moments where I, I call it a Larry David moment, where I really wanted to go back in and, and say to her, well, if you close at four o'clock, it's 3.49 now. Like, shouldn't you be serving coffee all the way until closing time? Um, but I, you know what, I just let it go and thought, no, I'm not going to I'm not gonna get into an argument with people. I'm just going to walk away. Uh, luckily, there was a place next door serving coffee. So I went in there and got um, got a coffee and also got a bit of farm produce. There was some selling some jams and some bacon and things like that and fresh farm eggs. So that was really lovely. And uh, I headed home. Now, just to finish off this podcast, I, I'll tell you about a little surprise I had when I went to send off my film. So I packaged up all my film. I had, I think I had nine rolls in total. I had six rolls of 120 from my Pentax 645. I had the roll of 1600 uh, Superior Natura from my Class S. I had a roll of uh, ecto, um, not ectochrome, um, what do you call it? Lom- Lomography Purple, which I shot in my Canon AFML camera. And I had another roll. Oh, I think I had one from Sprocket Rocket, maybe. I think I think that's what it was. And these the six rolls from my 645. And I was just doing the uh, the little film order up, uh, sent it off to Ikigai in Melbourne. And uh, I noticed that one of the 120 rolls had the word portrait on. And I thought, huh, what's going on there? That's, that's weird. I only shot Ektar. And um, so, yeah, I had five rolls of Ektar and one roll of Portra, uh, Portra 400. And I don't remember putting Portra 400 in my 645. Now, 
for those of you who shoot Kodak 120 film, you'll know that once you take it out of the box, it kind of all looks the same. It's in that yellow foil wrapper, right? And so I'm wondering if at some stage I thought that I was loading Ektar in my 645, I actually loaded Portra. Uh, so this will be really interesting getting the results because every roll of film lately through my 645, I've left it at ISO 100. So about to get some Portra, two stops overexposed, I would suggest. Um, I think that's what's happened. I, I My eyesight's pretty bad close up and I think I've put some Portra 400 in my camera uh, thinking it was Ektar. So I'll be really interested to see the, the results. Uh, I just got a little notification earlier from Australia Post. The, the film finally arrived. My batch of film arrived in Melbourne this morning. I've had some delays lately with express posts but it did get to the the po box for ikigai okay so i'm hoping later in the week um to get the scans back fingers crossed they turned out okay i'm really looking forward to seeing those 645 scans and um yeah i'm hoping there's some good photos on there after my trip um hopefully it did turn out to be a success and not a disaster So that's the tale of my road trip so far to southern Queensland. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, I hope you've uh, put up with all the horrible audio that I recorded on the road. Uh, it wasn't very good quality, but I hope it gave you a bit of a flavour of what it was like to be in country Queensland this week. And uh, just I've got a couple more things to finish off the show. So the first one is an update about the Sprockets competition. So I've given it a name. I have given it a name, my friends. It's called Sprocktastic. Sprocktastic 2020. So if you go to mattlovescameras.com, there is now a page called Sprocktastic 2020 and all of the details are on there about the Sprockets competition. Uh, there's three rules. The rules are that you must shoot 35mm film, you must expose the sprockets and the photos must be taken between the 15th of July 2020 and the 15th of October 2020. Also on that page are some details about how big the images must be. I've had a few messages from people asking me how big I want the images. So I would suggest between three and 4,000 pixels on the long side uh, for your images, please. And images should be as JPEGs. Now, also on that page on the website, there's also a link to a Google form. And the Google form is how you will submit the images, please. So you go into the Google form, put your name and email in, put your socials in, and a description of what camera you used, what film, all that kind of stuff. And you can upload the images through the form as well. Now, because you're uploading images to a Google form, you have to be signed in uh, through a Google account. So I'm hoping that's not a problem for people. Um, however, if you don't have a Google sign, if you don't have a Google account, please drop me an email, mattlovescameras at gmail.com, and we'll try and work something out that way. But I'm just trying to keep it a bit streamlined this time in terms of the submission process. And just to finish off the show, I have an email from Ian Wallace in England. Ian bought my zine every summer, and he emailed me to say this. Hi Matt, just to say every summer arrived this week. Thank you, it was worth the wait. Great production and a nice lesson in colour film. I tend to avoid colour for lots of reasons. With your freshwater bay shots, it was great to see the different film stocks compared. 
And what Ian's talking about there is that there are facing pages in every summer with two different uh, cameras and two different film stocks. I think one was the Kodak Gold on the uh, 200 on the LT1 and the other one was the Olympus XA from memory. Um, Originally, I was going to put about three or four different images of the same scene in the book, but I went down to two in the end because I was running out of pages. Ian continues, "Uh, maybe I'll try some color film again sometime. Yes, please do, Ian. I was glad to see on the last page that you made it to Dimbola. Dimbola, of course, is the museum and the the house of Julia Margaret Cameron, the uh, Victorian photographer. This has had a major facelift this year, so if you photographed it, you will have captured it before restoration. It's always fun to cross over to the Isle of Wight on the passenger hovercraft if you ever have a chance. Uh, I didn't get to go on the hovercraft on our trip, although I did take a photo with my Desdere robot. Uh, and you can see that image of the hovercraft taken with the Desdere robot on the, uh, the website mattlovescameras.com. I particularly like the Sandown Pier at dusk image and the double spread of the girls jumping into the sea. Best regards, Ian Wallace. Ian is on Instagram and Twitter at Ian underscore on a hill road. Uh, So there you go. Ian underscore on a hill road. Thank you so much to Ian. And thank you so much to everyone who has bought the zine. I think I've actually sold out of the international copies for now. And uh, I've got two or three of the Australian edition left, which is a little bit heavier. I'm thinking about doing another run of the international uh, edition. Just got to wait for a few more more orders to come in, if I I get any more orders at all. Uh, But I'll certainly do another run if I get some more orders. That's it for this time. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Get out there and shoot those sprockets and I'll be back with another podcast very soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Cassie NMZ. Take the show notes for the link.